Welcome to the Brett Boom Podcast. I'm the voice, Dan Levy, and with me as always will be the name of the podcast. Former Gold Glover, former All-Star, former Silver Slugger. He's the present, Brett Boom. What up, Brett? Hey, Danny. What's going on today? Brett, you have given me a diet. I weigh 270. You've given me a diet to go all fish, all chicken, all rice, no sugar, no fun. So I'm going to pretty much hate you for the next month after Thanksgiving. But I'm working on it. I'm working. Well, on it. I don't think I don't think you can do it anyway. It takes too much discipline. I got discipline. It took it took discipline to get this heavy. Now I just got to go the other way. We'll see. Speaking no of discipline, no speaking of discipline, we have one of the greatest pitchers of all time coming on this podcast. I am so excited. An eight-time All Star, World Series champ, four-time NL Cy Young Award winner, eighteen-time Gold Glove winner. Three-time MLB wins winner, four-time MLB ERA leader, 2014 enshrinement into Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame. He's got the privilege of having the two coolest nicknames in sports, Mad Dog, the Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Maddox. What's up, Greg? How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Greg, that's that's quite a uh, quite an intro. That away, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working on it all day, actually. It's a lot of stats to shove in my mouth. I'll tell you that. Jeez, much. I mean, uncle on that. We know. We know. <laughs> in case somebody forgot. In case someone forgot. It's 18. That's an 18. Yeah, doggy. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, um, it's, you know, it's been interesting for me uh, on this side of the mic, but I appreciate having you on and uh, see what you got for me. I want to, st- I want to start off out of the shoot. Talk uh-huh. to me about, because this is one thing I didn't know about. I know a lot about Greg. We were teammates for a year, but tell me about growing up in Spain. I did not know that about you. Oh, well, I was real young. You know, uh, Pops was in the Air Force, and uh, I think I was like four to four to eight years old or five to nine years old growing up over there, and uh, that was actually my first Little League team was in Spain, and uh you know, dad was coach. He coached us up and, you know, we had no, uh, all the TV was in Spanish. And of course we didn't speak Spanish. So growing up, we always did stuff outside, you know, it was always, uh, a, a baseball game, a wiffle ball game, you know, football, basketball. We, all we did was play sports, you know, when we were in Spain and if we weren't in school, we were outside playing sports till it got dark. That's pretty cool. How did that never come up? I never knew that about you. You had you had some Spain in you. Well, but we go. Yeah, you know, it's. I was real young. I don't remember a lot of it. Uh, I do remember going to the Prado though and uh, seeing the art museum there, and uh, you know, things like that. Uh, uh, just kind of a different culture, and uh, you know, we were on the Air Force base, so we were surrounded by all Americans. But when we got off the base, you know, we were. We were a little lost. We couldn't speak the language, and we we didn't know the city too well. So, uh, you know, we uh, just hung out on the base and, you know, played sports and growed up a little bit. <laughs> so you come back. You come back to Vegas, and let's ju- let's just jump to to your career and and um, you sign out of Vegas, get to the big leagues, and your first six years are in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, 92, you win your first Cy Young Award and, you know, your cup. 
And the next thing you know, you're signing with the Braves. Was was that was that a big deal for you after spending your first six years with Chicago? Winning your first side, did you want to stay in Chicago, or did you want to go to Atlanta? I mean, I, I know we all know how it turned out. Turned out for yeah. for the better. But at the time, what yeah. were you thinking? At the time, I was 100 percent a Cub. I was staying in Chicago. I mean, I even agreed to a uh, I even agreed to a contract uh, the previous winter after my fifth year there and uh some things happened and it it never got officialized and then uh you know i totally expected to go to free agency uh and the cubs would uh make a competitive offer and i would stay in chicago uh the whole negotiations it was all just about uh what my worth was and the only way to find your true worth is to go through free agency and do the process, come up with a number. They would be competitive, and I would sign it and, you know, stay in Chicago. But, uh, you know, they changed their mind. And I was actually made one offer for about a day at the time, looking back at it. They made me an offer before I even talked to other teams and – uh, of course, I declined it because I hadn't talked to other teams yet, and I thought the offer was low, too, <laughs> by the way. And, uh, you know, once they once I said no to that offer, they pulled it off the table, and uh, I was forced to find another place to play. And that's, you know, when I kind of went to New York and Atlanta, and I was kind of, you know, just going through the process back then, and, uh, you know, it turned out to work out pretty well going to Atlanta for the 11 years. Yeah, pretty awesome run. And and you end up winning four Cy Youngs in a row with that first one being in 92. Uh, I think only two people have ever done that. But, you know, and that's, you know, I was coming into the league at that time. So so to me, I'm this I'm this kid fresh out of the minor leagues. And I know when we're going to Atlanta, I got Matt, I got Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. And, and for those pretty much the next decade, you guys were the mainstay. There was the U3, and then there was a mix. You know, you had some quality guys around you throughout the years with, with Kevin Millwood, who I got to play with with you guys in 99, and Avery, and Merck, and Denny Nagel. But the constants were you, Smoltzy, and Glav. And, uh, you know, probably, it, you know, it's arguable, but for my time and in, in, in our generation, you know, it's arguably, if not the best, one of the greatest – one, two, threes in the history of the game. How was that for you going through that decade with, with Smoltzy and, and Glav? You know, I know you had the regiment. I got to see it for one year with, with the golf clubs and, you know, whoever wasn't pitching that day, the rest of you guys were playing. Uh, but did you, what, did you guys push one another or was it just kind of everybody's on their own program, just like most, most, uh, most other rotations? I think we push one another. I think uh, I think we uh, kind of led by example. You know, Smoltzy would throw a good game. Glad would throw a good game. You know, you don't want to be embarrassed, so you got to throw a good game. And uh, we got along well. You know, we all liked golf. Uh, you know, we were all married with kids. We had a lot. We had a lot in common. We were all the same age, pretty much. You know, I think Smoltzy's a year younger. Me and Glad, uh, even though his hair f- fell out first, he's the youngest. And, uh, you know, we just, uh, we had a lot in common. We pushed each other. We, all three of us wanted to be good. I think that's kind of one of the secrets, I think, to 
to having success is is actually wanting to have success. And uh, uh, I think the three of us uh, tried to prove it over and over again. We we, we were uh, uh, we wanted to be consistent. We wanted to be good every year. And uh, you know, you were there for the one year. I mean, you know, we were going to go to the postseason back in spring training. I mean, that's just kind of the mindset that was there. We knew over 160 games that we were probably going to win the division. And then, you know, you get into postseason, you know, the, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different ball game. But uh, uh, we knew we wanted to have good years and have a chance at the postseason again. No, and you're right. In, in the year I came over there in 99, I remember getting a call from, you know, my, my general manager at the time, Jim Bowden. He said, you got traded for Denny Nagel to the, to the Braves. And, and my first thought was, well, I don't have to face those three clowns anymore. I didn't know it was going to be a year, but it's like, because, man, it, it was coming in and it was you and then it was Glav and then it was Smoltz. And it was like every time we couldn't miss you because as as players, as hitters, that's what we do. We find out who. And back then it was USA Today and we'd start counting the days. One, two, three, four, five, yeah. because yeah. all three of you, you know, at the time were so dominant, but you all did it different ways. You know, Smoltz was more yeah, the power yeah. guy with the power slider. Glav's not going to give in, and he's just going to pick at the corner, and you're going to do your thing. You're going to throw that two-seamer away. And until we make that adjustment, you, you did a lot of pitching to contact, and, and I don't see that that much. I think more of it needs to be done, and we'll get to that later in the thing. But, but I do remember coming to Atlanta and that first spring training, sitting down, and it was a different kind of atmosphere. It, like you said, it was – we know we're going to win. We're going to expect to win. And I remember Bobby giving, you know, that pre that that preseason speech that every manager does. And he basically said, guys, for the new guys here, welcome. And uh, we expect to go out and steamroll people. We expect to go win 100 games. And that's what we do here in Atlanta. And it was kind of it was a cool thing because I'd never been, you know, I'd come and come from a Cincinnati team that we were good and we had we had gone to the to the playoffs several times, but it wasn't an, an assumed thing when we got to spring training. And for the first time, I kind of had that feeling in that clubhouse like, wow, they're not messing around. We're gonna, And sure enough, we did. I think we won 104, 105 games, got to the got to the World Series that year. We got whooped by by uh, the Yankees, but it was, you know, it was my first time. So it was a great experience for me. Um, but you guys did that. I mean, I don't think you missed the playoffs for, for all the nineties. The only thing I look back on, on those teams that you were on all those great Braves teams is how did you only win one world series in 95? Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, you know, it's a shame, uh, is, is as impressive as winning, you know, four, 14 straight division titles. I mean, I don't think it's ever been done in any sport. And uh, to be a part of that is something pretty special. Uh, you know, uh, it doesn't suck losing the World Series. You know, it 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 stinks not going. But uh, uh, obviously, we, we would have liked to have won a few more World Series. I think uh, you know, you know, we just uh, you know we get in the postseason, and all of a sudden now teams could match our pitching. You know, they couldn't do it for for 160 games, but you know, it seemed like every year you run into a couple hot pitchers and, and, and now our pitching gets matched and uh, we just fall a little short. So, uh, 
you know, that's the only way I can explain it. I don't think, uh, I don't feel like we choked or underachieved or anything like that. I just think, uh, we just got beat most of the time. Uh, but you know, we did have that one special year in 95 and, uh, you know, I got my ring and, uh, very proud of it. And I'm glad I can share that with, uh, all my teammates from that year. You know, it's a shame we didn't win more. It, it, it would have been nice to have more, but, uh, there's no complaints. Yeah. And I, and I look at guys, you know, I, I look at so many players that, that, and great players, um, that you never get to win a world series ring and, 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 you know, it kind of gets thrown out there sometimes as, oh, World, World Series are so hard to win. And, and when I see a guy get to win his first or if, you, if you're lucky enough to win multiple, count your blessings on how lucky you are because you not only got to be great, you got to be at the right time in the right place. And, uh, you know, yeah. appreciate those oh, things. They're pretty awesome. Amen. They're pretty awesome. Yeah. I was kind of glad to see the Dodgers win this year. You know, I felt like they've had the best team in baseball like the last three or four years. And uh, for them to finally get theirs this year was pretty cool. So I was kind of happy for those guys. Well, kind of the, the constants other than, than uh, the pitching staff for the Braves for that decade, the other constant was Chipper. You know, uh, yeah. he just a bunch of us came in and, and we were parts, you know, it's almost like we were rented parts, guys coming and going. But Chipper was yeah. pretty much the mainstay. I had Chipper on the show a couple of weeks ago and he, he kind of dove into that a little bit. And also Andrew Jones, something you got to watch. And I tell people to this day, I was I was fortunate to play with some great center fielders with Griffey and with, uh, you know, Mike Cameron. But I said, Andrew, he, he just played the center, the 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 position of center yeah. field, just a little bit different than anyone I've ever seen. Talk about Chipper and Andrew a little bit. Well, I, I'll tell you this. I think Andrew belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think he played center field every bit as good as Ozzie Smith played shortstop. And uh, uh, to me, hands down, the best center fielder to, you know, play, you know, in my mind ever. You know, uh, you saw the Willie Mays catch. Well, you'd see that, you know every 10 games with Andrew out there in center field. So, I mean, uh, he was very special out there. Uh, I know he saved our pitching staff tons of runs, you know. We're out there getting the credit for all these things, and Andrew's making plays for us left and right. So it was, you know, for my money, he was easily the best center fielder ever. And, you know, Chipper, Mr. Consistent, you know, he uh, he, he never gave in a bat away. He was there to hit. He was there to drive in runs, get on base. Uh, be a presence in the lineup. His defense was decent. You know, he played pretty good defense. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, that's what I always thought kind of the, 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 the reason for us winning was uh, our defense was, was, you know, we played defense better than the other teams did. Uh, it seemed like we would find a way to steal two or three outs a night and the other team would give us an extra out or two a night. So, you know, we're like, trying to get 24 outs and the other teams, you know, we get like 29 outs. So, uh, that was a big advantage over the course of the season as well for us. And, uh, you know, two very good players right there. Leo Mazzoni. Give me a little bit on Leo. I, I, he was the first pitching coach that I actually spent time with is I was fascinated him rocking back and forth and just talking about you guys all the time. And I just talked to him a little bit about what was Leo's philosophy? Leo, Leo had us pitch to our strengths. You know, you talked about the three of us doing it different. 
you know, mm-hmm. and we all understood what our strengths were as, as pitchers and, and we stuck to them. And, and, uh, if we were going to get beat, we were going to get beat the way we wanted to get beat at our strengths. And, uh, very rarely did we get away from our strengths to go to the hitter's weakness. We, we stuck with our strengths most of the time. And Leo would emphasize that every day. And, you know, Leo's big thing was, you know, just go out there and pitch 200 innings and everything's going to take care of itself. And, uh, uh, he was right on the money with that. You know, he, uh, uh, kind of left us alone and let us do our thing for the majority of the time. Doggy, what, you know, I, I know the answer to this and I have my, my thoughts on this, you know, if I'm ever asked, but what, what made Greg Maddox different? than the rest i pretty much uh, know my my answer but wh- what do you think made you pretty unique guy i think mind? mine was just movement you know uh obviously command and movement you know i grew up <clears throat> i grew up in high school believing the best pitch in baseball was a located fastball with movement okay i didn't grow up how hard can i throw it i need to try to throw it a hundred to have success and uh you know, I, I learned at, at an early age that uh, movement and location was more important than velocity. And the ability to change speeds was more important than velocity. So uh, I think probably that's what made me different was I was one of the very few guys that didn't rely on, on velocity to try to get a hitter out. Yeah, and, and I would, you know... Facing you, and and we've talked about this, and it's just all the pitchers I got to to play with, and I played with some great, great pitchers, you know, Hall of Fame guys, but it's just when I knew when you were on the mound, especially defense, you you spoke about the defense in Atlanta. When a pitch is called for a fastball away, it's really nice when you know your pitcher isn't going to miss up and in. When you missed, you yeah. missed by an inch. Glabs, same thing. You guys didn't miss by much. And and it's almost like, I know you could do this. When you had your good stuff, you could go out there and throw one pitch the whole whole game and have a good chance of winning. It's just that two-seamer away. And I would notice yeah. as an opponent, if you were getting guys out and getting them to hit weak ground balls, you just keep going to the well. And it's, it's like you had the philosophy, I don't have to strike everybody out here. My job is to get you out weak contact and then i'd notice though the situation would dictate runner on third less than two outs as an opponent now i've got to think well greg's been coming at me a certain way he's been getting me out but right right now he doesn't want to give up a fly ball so tell me how that how that changed did that change your philosophy on the mound for the situation well i think you know you you in a perfect world, you, you would know how to get a hitter out with a guy in scoring position. There, you know, it's not just get a hitter out. It's okay. How do I get it? How do I get him out with nobody on? And how do I get him out with a man in scoring position? So I think, uh, you know, there, there were certain hitters that you pitched differently when, when they had runners in scoring position. And, uh, you know, that was something that, you know, I tried to do. I mean, I, I I would not go to a hitter's weakness unless there was a man in scoring position. If there was two outs and nobody on, then I would totally try to pitch that hitter a little bit differently than if it, uh, you know, was the fifth inning with uh, one out and the man on third. 
talk about your brother a little bit. Grew up with Mike. Mike had a hell of a career. He's had an even yeah. better, I think, post-playing career as a coach. He's, he's, he's been a real successful pitching coach at a lot of different organizations. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What, what was your relationship like him growing up? I, I have a similar relationship with a brother that played. Uh, mm-hmm. During your career, post-career, do you guys, did you guys talk pitching a lot when you were both playing, or, or do you do yeah, it now? We, uh, we traded scouting reports all the time. You know, I think uh, uh, we talked hitters. I, I remember talking to them on the phone once. They were in uh, San Diego, and we were in L.A., and our buses, one was going north on five and one was going south on five. And we were on the phone. I think we actually passed each other, and we were going over the scouting reports. Hey, what would you see the last three days? You know, what was Tony Gwynn doing? And, you know, what was Piazza swinging at? You know, we just kind of shared it our information a little bit. We never did it with our own teams, but we did do it with uh, the, all the other teams. And, uh, you know, he was, he was big for me because, you know, he was four years older than me. He went to college and I think he started about two years before me. So, you know, everything that was going to happen to me, he, he had already experienced. So, you know, I could lean on him for, you know, what do you do in a ball? This teammates, you know, I don't like this teammate. You know, where do we go to eat in this city? And, things like that. So, uh, uh, he was, he was big for me. He kind of gave me a kind of a head start on what to look out for whatever level I was about to play at. You know, we ended up getting to the big leagues about the same time. And, uh, you know, we always shared information about hitters. That was kind of the biggest thing we got from one another. Uh, your son went to UNLV. You spent a little bit of time coaching him there. Uh, what was that? How, how, how did that go? I, I, I've had similar experience. My son just signed with the Nationals, and, and I've done a little coaching at Jake, but how was that for you? Did you enjoy it? Was it yeah. tough? Was it easy? Did he like Dad around? Yeah, I mean, he actually asked me. They they had some issues uh, about four or five years ago, and, and they needed a pitching coach, and uh, uh, he asked me if I would do it. So I was, you know, happy to do it. Uh, I was traveling around, I think uh, – uh, with the Dodgers the year before. And, you know, I was like, well, hell, this could be good for me because I don't have to travel anymore. You know, I could just, it's a 20 minute drive to the stadium from my house and, uh, I can get a chance coaching. And, you know, the college season's only, uh, like 50 games. So, uh, it's not a, a, you're, you're not spending a lot of time at the ballpark. Uh, the rules are different in college. You're, you're only allowed to coach a player for like two hours a week, you know, when it's, uh, the off season. So, uh, you know, it was a perfect kind of a part-time gig for me. And uh, I enjoyed coaching my kid. He, he's good at it. You know, it's a shame he doesn't throw hard enough. But, uh, you know, he was a pleasure to coach. He does everything right. He uh, understands the game and uh, cares about the team winning, not just how he does, you know, which is rare for a college player. And uh, enjoyed every minute of it. And the coaches were good. Stan Stoltz, the head coach there, good guy. Uh Kevin Higgins was there. He played a little bit with the Padres back in the uh, 90s. So uh, uh, the coaches were good guys, good baseball guys, and it was fun being around. Current game. What do you see from a pitching standpoint? As a hitter, I watch these current pitchers, and you know, I don't think it's yeah. arguable that the velocity's up. There's a lot of emphasis on, yeah. on the bullpen being a power bullpen. I remember, you know, in my time, 
in our pregame meeting, it's like, well, let's get to this guy. Let's rack up his pitch count so we can get into that bullpen. Sometimes these days, you don't want to get into that bullpen. But I see guys getting a little caught up in velocity and what's my spin rate. And and I always go back to – I'd much rather watch a real pitcher, a real artist out there than just see somebody throwing 100. Because I know it doesn't matter how hard you throw if you can't locate it. These guys are going to get you anyway. But what do you see with the current game that – and not necessarily saying that, that the current game is not – you know, it's any different than our time. It's just what do you see yeah. about the, the current game that you like that you don't like? Well, stuff is up. I mean, the pitchers, they actually – I mean, they throw better. They throw harder. They, they, got, they got better breaking balls. Uh, you know, location. You know, they got the high strike now, so you're able to pitch up. You know, we got – we got an inch or two off the plate when we played and, you know, we tried to pitch on the corner or if, you know, if we can just miss the corner and get the call, that was great. Uh, we never got that high strike that you see today. I mean, you're seeing belt high breaking balls being called for strikes and you're like going, wow. I mean, it must be nice to get that high strike. It'd be, that's tough pitch to hit as well, no matter how hard you throw. Uh, but I see the biggest difference for me is, you know, we tried to keep the ball in front of the outfield. You know, I don't care if I give up a single. If the ball stays in front of the outfield, whoever keeps the ball in front of the outfield the best is going to win, okay? And that, and that holds true today as well when you watch the games on TV. And, uh, you know, that was always my biggest thing, keep the ball in front of the outfield. And today, the pitchers today, it's like I got to make a miss. You know, it's swing and miss. I need to pitch up. I need to pitch out of the zone. You know, I'll try to get strike one or two down, you know, with a breaking ball or a low fastball for a called strike. But, you know, once I get strike one, I'm going to start going out of the zone to see if I can't get these guys to chase. And, you know, I think that's why you see the uh, pitch counts are higher, you know, today than they were back then. And, uh, you know, right now it's a swing and miss game. We got to make a miss. And, you know, back when we were playing, it was we got Andrew Jones and Raphael for call. Let's make them hit it at him. You know, we'll get out of this thing quick. So uh, you retire post career, three hundred fifty five wins. It's kind of a it's kind of a no brainer. You're going to the Hall of Fame, but you you come up on the ballot, and w- what's the difference between? Yeah, knowing you're you're gonna get elected in the hall, but what's the difference in knowing that and actually getting that phone call? Is there a difference? And, and was there a difference for you? Yeah, it's pretty special. I mean, uh, you know, the coolest thing was, I mean, I felt like I was probably gonna get in. I mean, you never know how the reporters are gonna vote. Uh, you know, you probably pissed a couple off over the last, you know, twenty years. So you're not sure how they're going to vote. Probably. Uh, you feel like you feel like you deserve to be in, you know? I mean, that's a pretty good win total to not get in. So you kind of feel like, man, I kind of think I probably want enough games to do this, you know? And uh, But the coolest thing is when you get there and, you know, it's only Hall of Famers at the, uh, at the hotel. And you go down, you know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. You go down for breakfast and then you see your heroes down there. You know, I walked down there. I grew up a huge Reds fan. My dad was from Southern Indiana, and we were forced to like the Reds growing up. So, you know, to walk down there and, and you know, the first the first person I see is Johnny Bench down there. 
you know, and then you see Tom Seaver and, and you see Joe Morgan, you see Tony Perez, you see all these great players down there. And these are the guys I watched growing up and, and, and looked up to and, and, and wanted to be like, and, uh, now you're sitting there having breakfast with them, you know, you're in your fifties and <laughs> it's pretty cool feeling, pr- pretty special place. And you got to go on with Coxie and Glab same time. So, you know, yeah, that was cool. That was cool. Yeah. And you know, uh, uh, Joe Torrey, I got to play for Joe my last year in L.A., so that was special that he got in. And, uh, you know, and just to see some of your teammates, you know, like uh, Andre Dawson, Ryan Sandberg, uh, uh, Goose Gossage, you see guys you played with, and and uh, just to reconnect with them. It's, uh, it's a shame COVID hit because it's, it's, it's a pretty special weekend. And, you know, you go there, you drink a lot of nice wine, you play golf, and, you know, you listen to – speeches that are a little too long but other than that it's 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 just a it's it's a just a fantastic weekend it's a pretty cool cool thing because i you know i've always watched the induction on on tv with you know like most people do and i had no idea i I went out there when uh trevor got inducted i went out with his with his traveling group and i got to you know see firsthand i had no idea what that hill really looked like. You know, you see it on TV, you think there's maybe a couple thousand people in the crowd. You have no idea until you yeah. get there that it's actually Woodstock. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I mean, I don't know if I want to do it every year and go watch, you know, my buddies every year, but to go that one time, it, it was pretty cool getting it to be, you know, there, there in person kind of seeing, oh, this isn't, you know, what it looks like on TV. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it's 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 big, isn't it? It's it's way bigger. Than I have no idea. I mean, there's, it's like a it's like a rock concert in the park, and it's uh, you know I got to I, I watched Tommy do his do his speech. Hey, there, there's a couple good speeches that year. Like you said, they get a little bit long, but to do it one time, and you know, I got to bring my son with me, and we watched Trevor, you know, get inducted. Yeah. I, I thought it was a pretty yeah. cool experience. Pretty cool experience. Hoffy had a good speech. I enjoyed Hoffy's speech. Yeah, Hoffy, man, and what people don't understand is the you guys are grinding. I mean, this is an important speech, probably yeah. the most important speech you ever make. So yeah, so the and guys tend to re- they're nervous, yeah, they're nervous and everything. And <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It, but it's awesome, it's and, and it it comes out in the speech. You know, I don't you don't really look at the speech and say, oh, that was a good speech. That was a mediocre. It's like you can see the effort. You know, certain guys are great speakers. Certain guys aren't. But you can tell yeah. the effort that was put into each and every one. And I think it's really cool to see these guys that you played against and you competed against up there getting the highest honor. I, I think it's a pretty cool thing. Well, Doggy, yeah. I appreciate you coming on, man. I think this was cool. Uh, one of the greatest to ever do it. Definitely, you know, from from competing against a lot of great pitchers. Uh, I could say you're right there with, with the best I've ever seen do it. What we do here on the so Boom Podcast. Against me uh-huh. real quick. I know you know them. What were they? I, I, don't, I, I didn't look them up. What? Your stats against me. Well, I was, I was, I, I was throwing that story away. All right, let me, let, me, let me give this quick story, and we'll see if Greg remembers it the same. We're sitting there. We were locker mates in, in Atlanta. And uh, yeah. the way the Bra- the way the Braves do it before 
before each series, we come in and we have, you know, we have Bobby in there. We got the pitching coach and the hitting coach, and we kind of go over it as a team, how we're going to approach them defensively, offensively, how we're going to approach their staff, how the Brave staff's going to approach their hitters. And, you know, we just kind of have a meeting for about an hour. Well, Greg's sitting there next to me. And, and believe me, early, especially early in my career, my first 10 years, my numbers against Maddox were not very pretty. And I remember one day you turned to me because because you were a student of the game. That's one thing I noticed about you. you studied. You were prepared for each and every start. You knew every single number, what pitch you threw to this guy last time. And you turned to me. You handed me my stats against you. And you said, aren't you glad you're on my team? And it's it's oh, still to this day. It's and, and you said you don't remember that. I thought it was one of the funnier things I've heard because my st- I, I don't know what I hit against you. One at the time it was one fifty, but then remember in San Diego, I got a couple hits off, and you you yelled at me and you said, "Yeah, Boone, don't be afraid to wait till I was old before you start to get some hits." And and it's probably true, but uh, the numbers yeah, I, I have no count, idea. I don't, May- I don't count hits in California as, as legit. No, and I don't know. I might have finished 200 against you. I got, I got to look it up. I got to look it up. I don't know. <laughs> but I appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, what we do here on the, the podcast is we're done. We're going to bring big Dan Levy back in, and he's got a couple questions from the fans. All Dan, right. okay. I am here, Mad Dog. Thanks again for coming on. I love calling you Mad All Dog. Right. I don't know why. I'd never call anybody Mad Dog. It's fun with you. Well, um, man, I don't know if you've earned that. I don't know if I've earned it either, but I'm a fan, and fans we earn th- certain things, like I get to go to the games and eat all the hot dogs I want. So here's a question for you, sir. W- do you think that there will ever be another pitcher to win 300 games? Say, th- say that again? Another pitcher to win what? 300 games. Uh, Well, yeah, I do. I mean, we heard coming up, you know, uh, I remember Don Sutton telling us back in the nineties, there'll never be another 300 game winner, you know? And, uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, me glad Clemens, Randy Johnson all did it. So, uh, I'm not going to be that guy to say, no, it's never going to happen. There might be some snot nosed kid in seventh grade right now that does it, you know, when he grows up. So, uh, I'm sure we'll probably see another one down the road sometime. Before they won the world series, all anybody ever talked about the Cubs was we could have had a chance if they would have paid the money to bring and keep Greg Maddox. Did you wish in the back of your mind you could have probably stayed at Cub a lot longer than you did? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. I never wanted to leave. I never wanted to leave. 100%. Well, I, you let- know, I figured uh, uh, I never thought for a second that my seventh year in the big leagues would not be in a Cub uniform. What were you thinking when you saw them win the World Series? You know, I was happy for him. I really was. Uh, I was uh, especially happy for the fans and, and all the people that work at Wrigley. You know, uh, uh, you kind of get to know everybody when you're there. And then even as a visiting player, you get to reconnect with with, with everybody there. And uh, uh, Chicago is a very special place. The, the fans there uh, arguably could be the best in baseball. And uh, I know I appreciated playing at Wrigley every day. And very happy for that city and, and, and those fans. You were known as a pretty decent practical joker when you played and when you were on the team. Who was your favorite to pick on? And what do you think has been your favorite prank to pull on someone? 
Well, I just had fun watching all the pranks, really. You know, I just uh, used to stir it up and just, you know, try to get guys going. But, uh, you know, Avery was a lot of fun. Smoltzy was always fun. Uh, you know, uh, going to Chicago, Ryan Dempster, he was he was fun to play with. Glendon Rush, uh, you know, I don't really think I have a very favorite prank. I just think it was all just the little needles that went on every day was kind of things I enjoyed the most. Tell me you pranked Brett Boone. If he was your locker mate, you had to have done something to him. I don't think I did anything to Booney. I think... Uh, he gave me a ride every know, day to the yard. Yeah, yeah. We used to, yeah, carpool a little bit. You know, I just, uh, uh, I think I, you know, the thing I remember about Booney, the one day he walked in, I think he rear-ended somebody because he got his hair cut and he was checking <laughs> it out in the rearview mirror. Is that a true story, Bo? That is true. <laughs> so I always laugh about that. I actually told that one to my buddy Bob today on the golf course, like, because I got this thing with Boone later on this afternoon and, uh, you know what he did one day, and I kind of had to pass that story on to Bob. So we had a laugh on that while we were waiting to hit, get our shots on one hole. <laughs> That's funny because I was just going to ask what was your favorite Brett Boone story, but I'll take that one as the answer. No problem. Well, Greg Maddox, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. And again, for those of you that are subscribing and commenting and leaving reviews for us on the podcast, please continue to do so. Please continue to share this podcast. It is growing by leaps and bounds. Once again, for Brett Boone, if you wanted to go ahead and find him on social media, on Twitter, he would be at the Boone 29 Actually, Greg, did you want to – are you on social media? Uh, I got a Twitter thing that I look at every, I don't know, month or so. I'm not, you know, really on it. I have one. What is your uh, handle so if people wanted to find you just to see if you're uh, stupid on uh, Greg Maddox. I think it's just Greg Maddox 31 or Greg Maddox. Something like that. Actually, it is just Greg Maddox. I see it now because you got the blue check mark, which is pretty awesome, too. Of course yeah. you do. Well, yeah. for, for for the Brett Boone podcast, you can find Brett at, at the Boone 29 at Brett Boone 29. And you can find me on That's Twitter cool. as well. Base on air. B-A-S-S on air. My name is Dan Levy. This has been the Brett Boone podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you guys next time. Later.